Many of you have been here, several of you were here from the many early days on, and I can tell you today in America that it is difficult to build a church. There's a lot of opposition, and there's, um, there's <laughs> in some ways, you, I don't ever, I never looked at it count as competition, but um, uh, Byron and I were talking about how in America today, when people go to evaluate a church, the things that they list from most important to least important for the average American Christian, when you look at Barna Research or other books, I think he was mentioned a book by Brother Dave Anderson, one of his books, that, that when you look at that, the reality is the order and the priority should be flipped. That most American Christians, what they think is the most important really is not the most important and the things that should be are, are not. And this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time on what is the, the, this, one of the foundational principles of building the church, and we're going to find it out of Ephesians chapter number 4. Now, real quickly, before I get into our text passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, you remember that the book of Ephesians is uh, written to the church at Ephesus, a very powerful church, a church that was used mightily of God. And remember that in chapter number 1, it begins this letter, Paul begins this letter to this wonderful church of two believers. Uh, encouraging them and reminding them of the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. You remember the chapter number one, uh, 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 too bad to my Calvinist friends who all want to tell you the Ephesians 1 is only about being chosen. I say, read the next few words, chosen in Him. Uh, chapter number one is not teaching that we, some people are elected to salvation and some are elected to damnation. No, chapter number one is teaching that God in the foreknowledge, before time, you know, before it all began, according to his own foreknowledge and according to his own will, he chose that anyone who had come to faith in his son and received the gift that he's offering and they would be placed in Christ, that in him they would receive the adoption of sons. They would be to the praise of his glory. They would be accepted in the beloved. They would be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And if you read chapter number one, I would challenge you. I say this all the time, but I'll say it again. Read chapter number one, especially the first half or two-thirds, and see how many times the words in him or in whom or in Christ are used. It's as if Paul says over and over again, the, the, the blessing, the spiritual blessings of being in Christ to this church should never be forgotten forgotten. And oftentimes we forget how blessed we are to be in Christ. That's why when you get to chapter number two, that's when he begins to describe and remind them that at one point they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And yet, uh, in spite of how they were dead, Christ came and we are told, and not till chapter number two are we told, how is it that we are saved? What is the, uh, the methodology, if you were, the, the avenue? And those wonderful verses of Scripture Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then you move into chapter number 3, and Paul begins to defend his apostleship and share with this church, you've received these blessings, you were saved by grace, and, and now God has brought leadership into your life, and Paul himself being an apostle, some had been attacking his apostleship, and he defends that. And then he encourages them in chapter number 3, in verses 17 to 20, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. A lot of doctrine there. And when you get to chapter 4, where we're going to find our text, we find verse number 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you, beseech you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. 
Paul says, listen, you've been blessed in the blessings in Christ. You've been saved by grace. You've been given leadership. Now it's time to do it. Now it's time to live the life that Christ wants us to live. He stresses in these early verses the unity of the church and of the faith. If you'll read those verses, you'll find the, the word one is used over and over and over again. Even as we get down into close to our text, look with me at verse number 14. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, there it is again, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, that we would uh, confront false teaching in love, speak the truth, that we would grow up into maturity in Christ. Notice verse 16, which is our text this morning, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which joint supplieth, every, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There it is again, love. He stresses here in chapter number four, he turns his attention to the local church, and he challenges them that they would be one, that they'd have unity, that they would grow up in spiritual maturity. He tells them that the universal church, and specifically the local church, is put together by the Lord. It's fitly joined together that every believer has a part in the body of Christ. If I had an outline this morning, and I told Allie I didn't really give her one, but if I had one, I think the first thing I want to get across to you this morning, if you leave here, uh, this isn't real difficult this morning, is if you're a child of God and you've by grace been saved, you've received that free gift, you are now in the body of Christ, what we call the universal church, but then the New Testament clearly teaches us that Christians ought to be a part of a local church. And inside that local church... Every believer is a necessary part. You wouldn't believe how oftentimes Christians believe that they're really not that important. That nobody needs me. Now, hey, have we all had our own pity parties? You ever had a pity party? (laughs) Nick, you've had a few. I've had had a few of those myself. Um, But I got to tell you, if you are a child of God, You ought to be part of the local church, and you are needed. You are. I know that one of Satan's most effective tools is telling you that you're not very gifted, and you're not very needed, and nobody will miss me anyway, and all these other things that Satan fills our minds with. And Paul's reminding them that every believer has a job to do. We find this same teaching over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 where he reminds them, for by one spirit, there's that oneness, we are all baptized into one body, into Christ. Whether we Jew or Gentile, whether we bond or free, we've all been made to drink into that one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. He goes on to remind them and uses a bunch of illustrations that, you know, the body, you know, somebody might be the foot, And the foot's upset they're not the hand, or the hand's upset they're not the foot, and the ear is upset that it's not the eye. But Paul goes down there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and says in verse 22, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. He he makes a point to say, if you think you're not all that important, 
by the word of God, he says, you are important. There is no part of the body that, that, it, that is not important. I know there's all these debates about our human body and, you know, do we really need, what is it, our appendix? Do we really need that, Brock? Um, you know, do we really need our appendix? No, he's saying no, uh, but God created it, right? Okay, there we go. I, got, I backed him in a corner. I was going to win that one. So you're telling God he made something he didn't need, huh? Um, my, 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 who, look, who thinks he's... <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Are you threatening my teeth? Next time I'm in your office, I'm not taking the gas. I'm not doing it. We're going to be talking like that. Um, I, I don't know why the appendix there, but I believe before the fall, there was a reason for it. And, you know, all of us in the body of Christ are needed, and you are a member in particular. You know, I, I understand that there are things in, in your body, even in our human bodies, that, you know, maybe you might appreciate more than the other. I mean, if I had to lose my thumb or my little pinky, you know, I think I'd rather lose the pinky than my thumb, right? But reality is I'd rather have them all. And some of you, I know if you know Brother Joe, he's had to adapt a whole life, adapting to what it is to not have that. They're all necessary. They're all needed. And in the body of Christ, God makes it really clear how essential every, every part of the body is. Now, you know, if, if, if I could use an analogy, you know, you, you do have a hand or the little toe or the pinky finger, and I put in my notes, you know, I don't know if it's an official medical part, but do you, does anybody here have a funny bone? Last night, Pastor Cody didn't think anybody in this church had a funny bone. I mean, I knew that the competition was going to be Cody Devine, who never cracks a smile anyway, um, back there. You know, I thought it was going to be competition, but I had to sit down. I just got tired. Um, <laughs> sorry, Cody. <laughs> it was funny. Some were funny. You know, uh, Dagon, you know, Dagon. I, I got that one. And that was okay. But sometimes in the church, we could use a little bit more of the funny bone. But whatever part God has called you to be and serve, be the very best that you can be. Now, you know, if you're a hand, let's say, and the hand says, I'm going to be a really good hand. I, I, I'm going to be a great hand. You know, remember, was it the Adams family back in the day when TV was TV, you know, uh, the hand running around the house, you know. Uh, um, the hand was helpful to a degree. But if, you, if you're the very best hand, but you only focus on being your hand and you don't realize it has a bigger purpose, you have a messed up body. And for some of us who may live with neuromuscular diseases, that your body tells itself to do things at crazy times and in crazy places, you kind of understand a little bit what I mean. Where you're walking along and you say, no, my, my mind, and I'm telling my leg and my foot, I want it to be here, but where my foot and leg really are is a different location. And this usually happens to me in Publix or somewhere, you know, and then people looking at you like, you've been, you been drinking something? You know, something, and they're looking at me funny, like, what are you doing? Because there's a problem. You see, this morning, I want you to recognize that you have a part to play. Number one, everybody's needed. Number two, in our text, as we've read this morning, looking through Ephesians, love is an essential ingredient. In our text, all these parts are to work together, and when parts work together, if they're to be lubricated, there's not to be friction. I find that the, the, the solution to that in the local church is love. 
Now, the, the, our text verse in verse 16 tells us the, the whole body comes together and all these different parts uh, come together to the effectual working that at the end of the verse there maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So how do you build the church? The church needs to be edified of itself in love. That's how you build a church. You know, I have found that most people, there might be a few oddballs out there, but most people want to be loved. And if you get a group of people who love each other, there's something infectious about that. On the contrary, if you come into a church, and I think some of you probably have been a part of these, you ever been to a church where there's all full of contention? Is it a pleasant place to be? It's not. Love is that unifying factor. That's why in verse 15 it talks about speaking the truth in love. And then in our text in verse 16, edifying itself in love. If you just try to edify, but love is absent, there's gonna be that's gonna that's gonna lead to some problems. What a difference that love makes. And really, I think Paul would say, what difference does it make if you think you're one of the important things? You're, you're the eye or you're the hand or the ear or whatever you think is an important part of the body of Christ and, and you don't have love, what, what good is it? And on the contrary, if you think you are a small part, and by the way, you know, God makes a special blessing and Jesus did, the ones who are least would be made the most. But even if you're a, a, a smaller, what you consider a smaller part, and you don't utilize that part in love, what difference does it make? You know, and Pastor Cody used this verse or this chapter last night in his little Bible study, his mini devotional last night, which I appreciate you didn't, you didn't preach like Pastor Danny would for 45 minutes. Appreciated that, you know. Pastor Danny was on vacation, lucky for all of us, and we'd still be back there probably. Danny, Dan, Pastor Danny would be going, and in conclusion, in, in conc- I never do that, you know, um, you know, actually, Pastor Danny would say it this way. Can I pick on Pastor Danny? I don't know. He's probably watching, but I'll do it anyway, you know. You know how you learn to morph people. You know, he would say, in conclusion, if you will. That's one of his favorite phrases. If you will. No, you don't get that one? Okay, some of you getting that. We all have them, Danny. I have mine. Yeah, I'm sure you all can fill those in. But 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I bestow the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. Now, I know that is used in weddings, and we think that's the only time that verse can really be used, 1 Corinthians 13, but the reality is, I've already read to you out of 1 Corinthians 12 about the different members of the body. You remember that's connected here. If you read through chapter 12, it ends up transitioning to spiritual gifts, and then we get to chapter 13 where, where God makes sure you understand that this functioning of the body and these spiritual gifts are only going to work effectively if it's done in love. Because you can play all the spirituality you want, you can have all the programs you want, but if you don't have love, it's not of the Spirit of God, I can tell you that. Love. 
You know, love is really the foundation of the church. It's the foundation way that we enter the church. You guys know verses like John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the love of God that draws all men to himself, that's not willing that any should perish, that wants everybody to receive this gift that he's offering. God loves. But then once we're in the family of God, how about... 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 9. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, notice this next phrase, so ought also, we ought also to love one another. I love how that word there is ought. Anything you ought to do? Anything right now that you're thinking, I really ought to do this? You know, maybe you husbands are going, I really ought to have done the dishes when my wife asked me to. I really ought to have done that. I really ought to have whatever. I really ought to have fulfilled God, impressed me to do something. The, the word ought brings in the idea of a responsibility that's given but not necessarily fulfilled. You know, in the Gospel of John, we find that God's love, the message of the love of God, primarily unto evangelism. But then God uses the Apostle John as, through the Holy Spirit of God to also write the epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, which are directed to believers and are more discipleship in focus. And yet, it's very clear that when the Holy Spirit used John to write his gospel and his epistles, if there's one thing that brings these two or these four books together, these four letters together, it, it, it's the bond of love. And if there's one thing I think that John says of all the things I heard Jesus teach and say, uh, as, as John recorded in the Gospel of John, for example, in John 13 and verse 34, Jesus speaking here, remember Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Jesus said, you know, the old Mosaic law is going to be non-operative, um, but I'm going to give you a command. And here's the one command, the one thing, love one another. And then when you read into the epistles, which are written to believers and discipleship, especially in 1 John, he talks a lot about how you can tell if someone's faith is living, if someone is really living in the spirit, or if they're living in the flesh, they might look spiritual, they might want to talk spiritual, they might be one of the leaders in the church, quote-unquote, but, but the 1 John is very clear that you, you, you can't say you love God and, and don't love your Christian brother. And in 1 John chapter 3, John says in the epistles, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought, there it is again, just like we read later in chapter 4, and we ought to lay our lives for the brethren. Oh, that makes it even harder. Jesus laid down his life for the brethren, and so we should do the same thing. That's hard. Notice he goes on in verse 18. Later on, he says, My little brethren, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't tell people you love them. 
You know, I always, you know, I had this happen in my office one time, not here, it was in my first pastorate, I was count, doing a wedding, wedding uh, counseling and the wife said, you know, there were tears going and the wife said, he never tells me that he loves me, he never tells me he loves me and this husband really, he looked over at her and he said, well hon, he said, I told you I loved you years ago and if that changes, I'll tell you. <laughs> the wife and I both wanted to just slap the guy, I'm like, you big dummy. Um, he's not saying here that it's wrong to verbalize. You ought to verbalize in word that you love others and, and uh, you, you care for someone. Now, I understand that there's different levels of love and those kind of things, but, you know, as a brother in Christ, just through Christ, because I love Christ, therefore I can choose to love you. Right? Right. And he says, but don't just say it. And some people just talk, 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 talk. It shouldn't just be in word, but it also should be in deed. And he says, in truth. Ooh. And then in verse 23 of 1 John chapter 3 in the epistles, he says, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on his name, on the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ, their salvation, and love one another as he gave his commandment. Respond to the love of God, believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and then in discipleship, here's the thing that he commanded back in, in the gospel that I wrote to you earlier, love one another. I don't, I, I understand that I will never be able to, and I don't know if any of us in here humanly will be able to understand the love of God, and specifically the love of Jesus Christ. I can tell you as a parent, and now as a grandparent, that my children, I don't think ever will be able to understand the depth of love that I have for them. Um, isn't it great having so many little newborns running around here? I was telling uh, Hosey, he was just being such a good little boy back there in the Valentine with all this mess is going on and he's just in his little chair. How, how old's Hosey? He put, see, he's being good now. He was just laying there going, uh, this is how my house sounds anyway, so I'm, this is great. This, in my home? He was just great. But every time I see those little guys, I, it, it's like, and some of your parents, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, maybe I'm an emotional guy, but it's not hard for me to see my kids like when I held them in my arms. And when they would get a little bit older and they were in their teenage years and they, you know guys, some of you have raised teenagers know, you know, they get really smart, Allison, really smart. They know everything. And we could see some of the issues they were having and people were telling them they weren't good enough and people were tearing them down and saying things at the school and in their job, wherever they were at. And, and, and it just, we could see how it affected them. And yet somehow, some way as parents, we could say, if you could just understand how much I love you. I'm just telling you that as much as any of us in here this morning can love our kids, Jesus Christ loves each and every one of us in a way immeasurably beyond what we could ever express. Why don't we realize that? And what if we did? We wouldn't have to be so insecure on in the job we have at church and say, well, my job's little. No, it's not. Ephesians is telling us how we should and can build the church. 
It's when everyone does their part edifying, building up the body in love. You know, if you're working in the nursery, you got to remember it's about edifying the body. These are where offenses get in. I'm, I'm being really raw with this morning. Offenses get in when we forget that what we're doing is not unto men, but is unto the Lord primarily. If you lose sight of that, you're going to get offended because we all say things to each other we ought not to say. We all get in the flesh. We all get emotional. If you're working in the nursery, it's about edifying the body in love. If you're working in the tech ministry where everything goes wrong, the lights start flashing, the thing won't go on, you know, you do, it's about edifying the body. And in you guys' way, in a really the body that can't even be here in person, the one all around the world. You work in the kids' ministry, it's about edifying the body. Maybe you work in a prayer ministry. I have a prayer ministry? Yeah, you, let me ask you, if you're here this morning, you say, well, I can't do any of that, but I pray. You know what? That's a ministry. And some folks are better prayer warriors than others for various reasons. But don't ever lose sight of the fact, say, well, nobody sees my gift because it's not on the schedule somewhere. But if you're called of God to pray an extra measure for the body of Christ, remember it's about edifying the body in love. Uh, maybe, maybe your job is to give extravagantly financially. That God's placed you in a position that you have more financial wherewithal and the Holy Spirit leads you to, to give in a, in a more uh, extravagant way, way beyond, quote-unquote, the tithe. And, and God leads you to do that, and you do that. And remember, you got to do it as unto the Lord in edifying the body in love. Maybe you're called to be an exhorter. You're, you're, a, you're an encourager. You're not a gossiper. You're an encourager. Go around and remember that, that you're needed. You say, well, I don't have a job. I'm not on a schedule somewhere. Well, maybe your job is to be at church one Sunday because God specifically wants you to run into, you know, I don't know, Matt Swafford apparently. You need to run into Matt and say, glad to see you here today, Matt. Hope you like being here. By the way, you're singing and working in the tech and working security all in the same one because we hate you. It doesn't matter if you're called to sing, to teach, to mow the lawn, to paint the walls, to make a meal, to serve on the security team, to witness by handing out a gospel track, whatever it is. It's about edifying the body in love. That's how you build a church. You know, the church at Ephesus was a really influential church. Church history says that Timothy was probably the first pastor there after Paul, you know, got things going there, and Timothy spent a lot of time there. Many people believe Mary Magdalene served there for many years. The church at Ephesus seemed to be the most missional church of all the early churches that that planted more New Testament churches than any of the other churches of its era. The Apostle John, after he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, when he he was finally released his last years, church history says, where did he go? He went and stayed at the church of Ephesus and even brought Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him there. I mean, this was an amazing church. And yet we also know through Scripture that at some point along the way, they got so busy serving, they got so busy fighting false teachers and false doctrine, they got so busy standing for morality in an immoral city, they got so busy dealing with persecution due to their faith, sound familiar? Uh, they got so busy doing all kinds of things that they lost sight of edifying the body in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They got cold, they got in a routine, and they lost the sight of love. 
That's why it's sad that one of the last things said to this church we found recorded by John himself in Revelation chapter number 2. And I've often thought how hard it must have been for John in particular to pen these words knowing the love he had for this particular church. But you remember the Lord Jesus in his seven messages to the seven churches says to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 verse number 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because why? You've left your first love. I'm about done, but this is what it all comes down to. When they lost their love, its impact was the destruction of the local church. Hmm. Why is our country and our culture failing? Because the church is largely ineffective and weak. And why is that? Because most Christians, and I believe there's a lot more saved people, Christians in our country, than our representative of our crowd here this morning or in churches in general. Why? Because most Christians have very little love for the Lord. You say, that's not fair. Well, when Christians love the Lord, they will love one another. Read 1 John. When Christians love the Lord, they will love one another. And where do believers come together? The local church. The church is the place where believers go to demonstrate love for the Lord by loving one another and in so doing, build up or edifying the body. And when the body of the church is built up, guess what? It produces believers equipped to go out into the world and fulfill the Great Commission. So yes, I'm going to say this. A believer who is not committed to building up the local church in love is not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Ooh, I'm not going to win points for that statement. But I'll say it again. A believer who is not committed to building up the local church in love is not in a right love relationship with Jesus Christ. I know it is passe today and it's in vogue to say, well, my spirituality is all of myself. Sorry, that's not what the Bible teaches. It is not. Well, I don't want to go to church because a bunch of jerks there. Well, you come one more won't make a difference. <laughs> we always handle one more jerk. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, sometimes we hurt each other. But that is when our love is tested. I used the analogy of parenting a little bit earlier. And if you've parented kids through teenage years into adulthood, can I ask you if your, if your kids ever hurt you? <laughs> Parents, are you finding out that one of the most hard emotional things to do is raise kids? But do you still love them? And when they hurt you, and yet you keep doing what's best for them, sometimes it means you're not being their friend. Sometimes it means they don't understand why you're, you're making a stand that you're taking, but you're doing it because you love them. And when, when they don't respond with the warm, fuzzy feelies, you don't say, well, you know what, you, you being that, you know, now I'm not going to do with you. No. It, it's a demonstration of love. And I'm not ever going to be one of these guys sometimes some Christians I, I, I'm just almost ashamed and hurt where, where some Christians say well I, I'm going to give you a real specific example from my past a church that I was in that this is before I was pastoring but there was a family that the teenagers grew up and decided for a season in their life they didn't want to live their faith and they kind of got out into the world and these parents they said to Jenny and I after church 
They said, you know, my daughter's going out there and now she's wearing pants. And I told her she wasn't coming back in my house unless she takes those pants off. And until she quits doing that, our relationship is just not going to be there. What an idiot. I even knew then she was an idiot. And I was an idiot. So that made them a real idiot. No, when, when the body of Christ is the same principle, when the hurts come, that's an opportunity for you to demonstrate your commitment to the Lord first and to the body of Christ that you're committed to the edification of the body. What America needs is Christians so in love with Jesus that they actually demonstrate Jesus' love to other believers and in so doing, build the body of Christ, the church, and change the world for the glory of God. How do you build the church? Edify the body in love. You know, yesterday we were at, uh, we had this banquet. Where's my, I got, I just got a minute. Where, where's, uh, um, if you were here yesterday at the Valentine banquet, we had a pretty good time, didn't we? You know, you guys made fun of me not having a lot of hair, hurt my feelings. I'm so wounded, but I got over it. You edified me good. Got them. We had a great time. I had a wonderful time. And um, I had a great time. DT was there last night. You were there. You remember being there? You remember being there yesterday? Yes. You remember that? You, you saw that? How, do you, how did you know that? How did my sin find, your, find that out? Did Tommy fade? Did you tell on me? Tommy, 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 Tommy. And I used to love you and everything. I, he came in, and I said I wanted to take a picture with him, and he was silly enough to let me take a picture with him, and this is the picture. <laughs> uh, it's a good picture, isn't it? Well, except for one person. Except for one person? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I have a lot of fun at DT's expense, but I think most of you know it's because I really love him. He's another one that's a living miracle that tried to die on us several times a few years ago. Is it, has it been that long? Unbelievable. Well, as a token of my affection, one of our other members here, Jason Dominguez, started his own um, t-shirt design that I thought you'd get a kick out of. Now, if you don't know anything about DT, he really, inside of this guy, is a biker dude. All right? we, we've saved him out of a biker club. He was part of the Hells Angels, and we got one. Um, no, he wasn't. They're all looking at me. Are you telling me the truth? He was a motorcycle guy. But, yeah, see? I'm, some of you just believe everything. But Jason makes these shirts, and they're called the Day of the Lord Tacticians. And it's got John uh, 1.5 on there. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And uh, here's the front of the shirt, uh, shirt. Now, you can't see this, but they're little, they're little, they're, they're, they're little skulls. They're skulls with night vision on them. Now, here's a, here's a, bigger, here's a bigger one. See that? As a matter of fact, I need a little, Joe, can you help me out? I don't want to, we're live streaming. I don't want to fall on my face. Um, I, just, you okay? One, one cripple helping another? All right, there you go. There you go. There you go. Joe's shoulders, perfect height. Um, can you see that now? See, it's called Day of the Lord because, you know, Jason's vision is the day of the Lord's coming, isn't it? Now, I'm thankful I'm personally not going to be here. I'll be in heaven, but that's not going to be a fun time. And uh, so it's going to be a lot of death. So if a skull kind of freaks you out, um, the day of the Lord, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get really bad at that time. It's got night vision, and the idea is um, it's dark right now. We live in dark times, but we should be able to see, shouldn't we? And I thought when he made this, I thought, you know who would like this? Now, I have one of these, and by the way, I've already had people stop me. 
And then when I find out I'm a pastor, and I'm, they're like, you're what? Where do you pastor? Um, and, <laughs> and then I tell them, you know, I say, oh, I'm down at Centerpoint. That's where I'm at. Um, um, <laughs> Brother John probably has a motorcycle. Um, but uh, it, it's even a triple X, just your size. So just because I love you, I'm not going to love only in word, but I'm going to love in deed. Oh, I, right? anyway. I love you, brother. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So if you want one of those, you see Jason, he'll get you one. Yeah, he wants to, yeah. Yeah. You know, I love new Christians. Jason loves to witness to everybody he comes across, and he's excited about serving God, and he came to me and said, I want to do this because I want to raise money for missions. So... You're going to wear it one time and it's going in your trophy case <laughs> right next to your Hell's Angels jacket? <laughs> Edify the body in love. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word today. Thank you for the attendance of your people and the time we've enjoyed. God, I pray that as we live in these very dark days, God, help us to, to love one another, um, uh, that we would, uh, as a local church, fulfill your great commission and uh, reach the world. Lord, I'm so thankful for the unity you've blessed us with here at Open Door over these years. And Lord, we recognize it doesn't always come easily. And uh, Lord, we don't certainly want to take it for granted. So help us to love one another. And Lord, I pray this week, um, each individual odd Baptist, whether you're a member here, visiting here, whatever, would purpose in our heart to demonstrate love, whether in word or in deed, to uh, somebody else inside our local church uh, or in our church world this week. Lord, I'm so thankful for the free gift of eternal life that you've offered uh, through your finished work. And Lord, I pray if there's one watching today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, my dear friend, would you trust Jesus Christ today? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you receive that gift that he's offering you, forgiveness and eternal life through faith in Jesus? Holy Spirit of God, bind us together as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?